You're listening to Boomers Today with your host, Frank Sampson. Well, welcome to Boomers Today. I'm your host, Frank Sampson. Of course, each week, each week we bring you important and very useful information on issues facing baby boomers, their parents, and other loved ones. And uh, I, I can't thank all of you enough for all your support. Um, our listeners are growing each and every day, and it's because of you. Uh, we have grown organically. Uh, many of you have uh, sent our uh, podcast uh, to friends and families, whether they be individual shows or the entire podcast, and we really appreciate you doing that. So many of you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all the various podcast stations. Uh, um, so we, we, again, we appreciate that as well. And um, uh, some of you have gone to our website at uh, boomerstodayradio.com to listen. So again, thank you so much. And I know why you're sharing uh, these podcasts with others, because we have great guests and uh, a lot of wonderful information, and we're not going to disappoint you today. Uh, we actually have two guests today. Uh, I'll introduce both of them. First, uh, we have Dr. Rob Winningham, who received his PhD in neuroscience from Baylor University. He joined the faculty of Western Oregon University in 2000, where he served as a professor of psychology and gerontology. His focus has been on memory and aging for the past 30 years. He's trained thousands of professionals to offer high quality cognitive rehabilitation and therapy programs. In addition to publishing uh, many peer-reviewed articles in the area of human memory and aging, Dr. Winningham has been invited to give well over 1,500 invited presentations about memory and aging at various conferences and workshops. His book, Train Your Brain, How to Maximize Memory Ability in, old, in Older Adulthood, and his latest book, Cranium Crunches, both can be found on Amazon. We also have with us Dr. Mike Stutter, who's... Uh, did I pronounce your last name correctly, Mike? It is Studer. Studer. Okay, great. I'm glad I asked. Uh, Thank uh, you so, so much, Doc, Frank. Uh, yeah, Dr. Mike Studer has been a physical therapist since 1991, a board certified in in your in, in your logic. Uh, physical therapist in 1995 and a private practice owner since 2005. Dr. Studer has been an invited speaker covering 50 states, 10 countries, and four continents speaking on topics ranging, ranging from cognition and psychology and rehabilitation, aging, stroke, motor learning, motivation in rehabilitation, balance, dizziness, neuropathy and Parkinson's disease. Dr. Studer is a co-founder and co-owner of Spark Rehabilitation and Wellness in Bend, Oregon. Wow, what a great, great background. So just thrilled to have uh, both of you on. Thank you, so, Frank. It's great to be pleased here. Pleased to be here. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm going to throw out the questions. I'll let you guys uh, decide uh, who's going to answer. But um, uh, I, I'm just, I, I can't tell you how, how thrilled we are uh, to have you on on such an important subject matter, uh, talking about cognitive issues and dementia. And, and I'm going to just start out with a very basic one. And I'm sure you get asked probably this by friends, family, et cetera, but, uh, and I do as well being in, in the industry, but um, 
uh, just when, when people say dementia, all right, what is, what is dementia really? And then we certainly hear about Alzheimer's and we hear about other forms of dementia and I call it other forms of dementia, but maybe explain the differences. Uh, so maybe we could just start out with that basic question. I can start with this one. Uh, you know, dementia is an umbrella term that describes a collection of symptoms um, and uh, different types of dementia. There's no official list, but you know, I've seen estimates of maybe 60 different types of dementia. Now, certainly Alzheimer's is the one people are most familiar with. Um, and you know, it might be, it's hard to know for sure, but it might be roughly half of all dementia cases are of the Alzheimer's disease variety. The second most common type of dementia are what we call vascular dementias um, caused by a stroke, for example. Um, and, and these ones can be given that lifestyle factors can affect cardiovascular um, risks. Um, our lifestyle factors have a big impact on vascular dementia. And then all of the other types of dementias, dementia with Lewy bodies, frontal temporal dementia, um, and, and on and on. But I, you know, I think of dementia as kind of an umbrella term. So just imagine you want a mnemonic, <laughs> it, uh, just imagine umbrella with the word dementia on it and then the different types underneath it. Right, great, great. Now, wonderful explanation. Thank you for that. Um, so I'm of that age group that all my friends and a day doesn't go by where someone doesn't get frustrated that they can't remember something and they think it's over. They go, that's it. I'm, I, I'm going to get all, you know, I have Alzheimer's. I'm going to get Alzheimer's. I, I kind of, you know, I don't have the background you guys have. I'm not a, a doctor, uh, but I go, you know, Hey, you know, calm down. You're, you're, you'll be fine. You know, you're okay. It's just, that's normal. So maybe we could just touch upon what, some of these memory challenges that people have, what you would maybe consider normal aging memory issues, and uh, what is maybe something that maybe could be a little more concerning and needs to be checked out. Is there a way that you could kind of give us a, a quick overview of that? And then we'll talk about maybe some ways to improve memory abilities. Well, I, I can probably take this one too, at least to start, and we can hear um, what Mike has to say. You know, the one of the most common questions I get is about uh, people trying to find the right word. Um, it's called the tip of the tongue state, where you can't grab a noun, somebody's name, for example, a proper noun. And that is actually not a sign of dementia, but that's the thing that occurs probably most often um, during the day. So good news, if you can't remember a name, don't be embarrassed, take a deep breath, move on, and uh, it'll probably come to you later. Um, now, there, if we kind of look at the literature, there are some language challenges that might be indicative of dementia. And uh, in this context, if you can't remember a verb, an action word, that, that is more problematic. We primarily see people having a hard time making new memories um, as we get older, and then that problem gets worse. And then, you know, in terms of some things to look for, you know, you know, especially certain types of dementia, but getting lost in familiar places um, throughout driving around in your community that you lived in for a while, that would be concerning. 
um, one of the the first signs that we've seen um, is something you know like balancing a checkbook or managing finances. So that can, if that is consistently a problematic, that might be a sign of a problem. But I know Mike, uh, Dr. Studer also has a lot of experience in this. And might want to add. I do. Thank you, Dr. Winningham. Uh, as a physical therapist, Frank and audience, uh, I come at this from a perspective where I look at the functionality of normal aging, what is normal to expect, uh, consistent with the first part of your question, and then what looks like pathology or problem. And uh, some exciting research has come out helping us to understand that by looking at a dual task scenario where an individual has to operate a cognitive task thinking about where they're going, why they went into a room, uh, what their shopping list is, uh, what another individual is saying to them, while they're also doing a physical task, unloading groceries, walking, uh, getting dressed, that one of the early warning signs that may be an effective screening tool to determine if someone's aging is outside of normal would be to offer a dual task test. And we do that in physical therapy. Uh, so that's uh, one way to look at the answer to your first part of your question, what's normal with aging and what's abnormal. And the other things that I would add on to Dr. Winningham's exceptional answer would be that reaction speeds are supposed to slow a little bit. Uh, our ability to be able to uh, manage multiple thoughts at a time should slow and should be a little bit less proficient. And then obviously we know about the physical changes that should be expected with aging that are more uh, related to our ability to be able to create force, uh, produce strength, uh, and things of that nature. Great, great. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so what, what about <clears throat> making improvements in one's memory ability, what are some of the things, you know, I, I hear, you know, exercise, you know, you hear all uh, that exercise is, uh, is always good, but then you hear people that, you know, that, that may not agree with that, but you guys have studied this. So what are some of the things that could improve someone's memory ability if they were, you know, work at this? Uh, and is exercise uh, one of them? Well, I, I once again, I'll, I'll probably um, lead on this question. Um, so one thing's important to understand when we talk about improving memory ability is what type of memory ability. And you know, like I said earlier, it, it's it's really important to work on our ability to make new memories. And that is largely driven by something called executive functioning. It's in the front part of our brain, our frontal lobe, and, and it involves attention, for example. And so if we can improve attention and executive functioning, then that improves our ability to make new memories. And it's also been shown to improve our ability to live independently, um, to do all the things we need to do day to day. So that is the goal. And we have found that Physical exercise can improve executive functioning. There are literally thousands of studies that have shown physical exercise improves cognitive functioning. 
And this is the space that Dr. Studer and I are in, where we're looking at what types of physical exercise, like as you mentioned, dual tasking is one that a lot of research is going on now, which are the best, how much do we need to do? So the field has really evolved. But in addition to that, there's a, a good body of literature on cognitive stimulation. One study found that about 15% of how much our memory changes in older adulthood um, is related to our level of cognitive stimulation. Um, then there's a whole list of other things, and all of these have been shown to directly affect executive functioning and attention, and therefore help us uh, make new memories. And those are things such as avoiding diabetes. Diabetes is, is, a, is a major risk factor for dementia and something that, that can, in many cases, be controlled. Um, social engagement has been shown to be related to um, your chance of developing dementia, as has sleep quality. And I know that's something your listeners would, would love to hear more about. But, um, you know, about a third of older adults um, at some point in older adults that are diagnosed with insomnia, and that can cause challenges. And then finally, the, 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 actually the largest factor determining whether or not someone is going to have dementia is how well they chose their parents. Because So there is a, a genetic component to that. Um, but once again, Mike, I'd ask, would, would you add anything to that? Gosh, that's a, a nice answer. It's very comprehensive, and there's uh, some room to add on to a few things there where exercise fits in. And to complement what Dr. Winningham said, we see that exercise plays a role in controlling what we call comorbidities, other health diagnoses and conditions that can impact your blood's, uh, you know, your brain's blood flow. He talked about diabetes, and so point A exercise helps to control some of those things that can influence your likelihood of vascular changes and dementia. Point B, exercise can help to improve your quality of sleep. When you think about when you are doing your physical exertion, are you exerting yourself? And uh, that can influence quality of sleep. In addition, exercise can uh, help with many different uh, aspects of the brain uh, beyond this, that uh, frontal lobe executive function. And uh, when Dr. Winningham talked about dual tasking as a form of exercise, there's a great complement of literature also that talks about the intensity of exercise uh, and being something that can help other areas of the brain, your coordination centers, uh, certainly your visual centers, depending on what type of exercise you're doing, and directly into your memory centers. So, some body of literature talks about the dosage of exercise, and we're starting to improve our ability to reframe the term exercise and maybe spin it into physical activity to make it more approachable so that we can find ways to have some intense movement in our lives and get the benefits without kind of that uh, more fear-evoking nature of I've got to go to the gym to exercise and it's the only way and it doesn't feel good or, uh, you know, engaging for me, so I just won't do it. So there's a lot to say in this, uh, you know, body of literature. And the exciting thing is we're not done developing what exercise can do and how to do it best. Well, I've, I've got so many questions based on what you guys uh, said. Great, great information. It's just... Uh, I've got a couple I got a couple things I'd like to address maybe before we take our, you know, we're going to take a quick, you know, break and a little bit to recognize our sponsor. But see, number one, uh, exercise. Uh, is there 
if somebody said, well, what kind of exercise should I be doing? You know, should I be getting on the treadmill? Should I be going on long walks? Uh, should I be lifting weights as long as I, you know, my body can handle it? Should it be strengthening? What, what, or do all the above? Any, any response to that? I'll defer to Dr. Yeah. Studer on that one. Yeah, so thank you. And I'm sure Dr. Winningham will have some great things to say, but it appears as though all the different forms of exercise will have their respective benefits on the different areas of the brain. Let's take endurance exercise. For example, you mentioned the treadmill, Frank. So uh, participating in 20 to 30 minutes of a moderate intensity aerobic exercise, going out for a walk is equal to being on a treadmill stationary bike. Uh, with a more continuous approach, I'm going to stay at 2.2 miles an hour on the treadmill, 20 to 30 minutes, if that feels moderately intense for you, doing that three days a week has uh, a great dosage that has been proven uh, in the literature. Strength exercise, uh, again, doing something that requires you to move against your body weight or against a resistance that's elevated, that can have, uh, again, uh, a, an appreciable effect uh, on cognition and our ability to improve those executive memory center, the executive uh, functions that Dr. Winningham spoke about as well. We don't know the dosage within strength training so well, but we know that it has a powerful effect, especially when we're working at about 70 to 80% uh, of what we can move. So we're not taking our maximum resistance, but we're taking 70 to 80% of it, and we're doing uh, a healthy eight to 10 repetitions of that, a couple of sets of that, and again, about two to three times per week. The science there is not perfect. Third thing that I would say is you can also use either one of these tools, aerobic or resistance, and you can have brief expressions of intensity, as I mentioned a few moments ago, high intensity intervals, where you're briefly taking a heavier weight for a couple of repetitions, or you're trying to move more quickly against resistance for a few repetitions. And the same could be said for the walk outside. Uh, okay, um, you know, you say to your walking partner, honey, let's try to walk briskly for the next 30 seconds, and then we'll take it easy for the next minute after that. These intensity intervals appear to uh, provide many different neuroplastic and brain health functions that we can't get if we just stay continuous. Great explanation. So I got one more before the break. I'm going to ask Dr. Winningham. I'm not going to let you sneak away because you, you, you brought up something uh, uh, earlier that uh, I think people will be interested in hearing a little more detail on. And that is, is it possible that someone's parents who had dementia, could that increase uh, the adult children's chances of getting it. I, I, you didn't say it in that exact way, but you said something about, uh, you know, your parents, maybe that could have some sort of an effect. Yes, it does. You know, when we look at the uh, heritability of dementia, and a lot of the research is focused on Alzheimer's specifically, um, it's about 50%. It's about 50% of your chance of developing dementia are related to some genetic factors. Some of them may have been expressed in your parents. Some of them may not have been expressed if they're recessive or dominant. 
Um, and, and I think that stresses people out because they, 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 they see their parents go through this, you know, the type of person that might be listening to this podcast in particular, um, you know, might be caring for um, a parent with dementia. But here's the good news. That is more true uh, for early onset dementia. Dementia, where we see significant symptoms before age 65, that is a much higher um, heritability rate. It's more genetic. Most Alzheimer's is, is quite late in life. Um, and in those instances, it is less genetic. So, um, so that hopefully that puts a lot of your listeners' um, minds to ease to a large degree. I'd also just point out that, remember, the second most common cause of dementia is vascular dementia. A, a leading researcher at um, the Mayo Clinic estimates that 50% of all dementia cases have some vascular component to it. So, and, and those things, uh, you know, might be related to strokes, for example, minor strokes or more severe strokes. And those can largely be controlled by lifestyle factors and medication. So there are things that people can do. And when we talk about the lifestyle factors and things that we rattled off at the beginning about um, diabetes, physical exercise, cognitive stimulation, sleep, all of those have an impact. So hopefully it's motivating to your listeners to, to, to hear that um, and try to do those things, particularly if they think they might have a genetic component. And I just want to add one more thing to what Mike was saying about strength sure. training. Mm -hmm. Gosh, if somebody hasn't really lifted weights before, that's a tall order to say, all right, you know, you now I need to hit the gym and pump some iron. But it doesn't have to be like that. It can be body weight supported exercises, you know, just standing up, sitting up and down out of a chair as many times as you can in a minute. And I want to just motivate your listeners for that because the research on this is astounding. Even people who have diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment, which is one step away from dementia, if they do resistance training a couple of times a week for a year, they have a significant improvement in executive functioning and their ability to make new memories. Kind of on the order of what a pharmacy, the best pharmaceutical would give you. So that, there's a lot of motivation to try to add that into their daily routine. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that explanation. Yeah, I didn't want to, uh, I want to make sure our listeners heard, heard that. So thank you for that. So we're going to take a real quick break. Uh, I promise no more than 30 seconds here. And then when we get back. I want to touch on something that was mentioned before uh, dual tasking. And I, I'd like to spend the rest of the, uh, our time talking about that such an important subject matter. So when we, when we come back, we'll, we'll, we'll address that with both of you. So I'm going to ask all of you, uh, do you know anybody who may be concerned about an older driver? Well, Senior Care Authority's Beyond Driving with Dignity program is a facilitated self-assessment program for older drivers. This program has been designed to serve as a vital tool to facilitate older drivers and their families as they make appropriate decisions regarding the future of one safe driving career. If the individual is a safe driver, an advisor will provide him or her with strategies on how to remain a safe driver as they progress through the aging process. If driving retirement is the appropriate decision, then the individual and their family are offered possible alternatives, resources, and a specific plan to ensure a smooth and successful transition from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. So to learn more, go to www.beyond drivingwithdignity.com or call 877-907-8841 
to connect with a senior care authority advisor in your area. We're back with Dr. Rob Winningham and Dr. Mike Studer, who just both have tremendous backgrounds in the area of uh, aging, uh, dementia, and other memory challenges. So um, it, it was mentioned uh, before the break, uh, uh, dual tasking. I don't remember which one of you uh, mentioned it, but maybe you could talk about that. I know that uh, what I'm going to hear from you, I'm not I'm a little concerned only because my wife tells me that I can't dual task. I can't do two things at once. I don't know if that's just a, a male thing or, or what, but uh, in all seriousness, talk to us more about that subject matter, which I know you both wanted to address. So I'll, I'll just turn it over uh, to, to either one of you to address what is dual tasking. Let's not assume that everybody knows and how that could be uh, relevant to the subject matter at hand. Well, I'll, I'll tee this up really quickly, then hand it over to Dr. Studer. And, you know, a question that we get a lot is what's the difference between dual tasking and multitasking? Um, so multitasking is trying to do two cognitive activities at the same time. So, so, so Frank, that might be, you know, responding to an email while your wife is talking to you. I don't recommend that for a number of reasons, right? Um, you know, because you can only do one or the other. You can focus on the email or you can focus on the conversation. And so multitasking leads to impairments in performance. We make more errors. It takes us longer. Um, it's, not, it's not a good thing to, to, to do necessarily. And I, I know people, you know, are proud of their ability to multitask, but they're not multitasking. They're quickly task switching. And if they say they're good at it, then maybe they have fewer errors when they do that than the typical person. Dual tasking, in contrast, is usually doing a cognitive task, having a conversation, but doing it while walking, or, or, or even better, doing it while walking in an area where you kind of need to pay attention because there, there's some, some, some obstacles in the path. So you're doing the walking, that's the physical task, and then you are having a conversation that's the cognitive task. And that is one of the hottest new areas of research because it's been shown to be quite effective at improving the physical exercise and cognitive ability. I'm sure Dr. Studer has more to add. Yes, and your definitions are spot on, Dr. Winningham, and perhaps uh, for the listeners' ability to envision this a little bit more, I can provide just a few uh, examples of when they might be engaging in dual tasking themselves. And those certainly could include, um, you know, efforts to be able to find something in your purse or your wallet while you're walking. Uh, those efforts can include uh, your efforts to try to uh, manage children in the back seat while you're driving. That happens to a lot of us. Uh, obviously, our efforts to try to recall a shopping list uh, and also recall uh, the directions to get to this grocery store, especially when we have to reroute uh, due to, you know, maybe some traffic construction. So dual tasking happens to us all on a regular basis. Uh, and uh, our ability to be able to uh, prioritize and tolerate distractions are all trainable functions that I want the audience to certainly be encouraged by uh, because it's, it's, it's not all bad news here. It's, there's some very good opportunities. Right. So if I may, just to give an example, and you tell me if I'm 
if I'm uh, uh, listening correctly to what you're saying. So let, let, let's, let's talk about a walk. All right. Now, someone could go for a walk in the neighborhood. They're very familiar with that neighborhood. It's a paved, it's paved. They know exactly where they're going. The only thing they really have to watch out for is maybe, maybe any traffic or anything like that. And then you could go for a walk, maybe on a hiking path. And that might be a hiking path you may not be as familiar with. It's not that it's that strenuous, but you got to be careful for it's, you know, a dirt path. And, you know, maybe there could be a rock, maybe there could be a little something inclined, things like that. If I'm, am I understanding correct that maybe the latter would be a better way to go? Yeah, as a matter of fact, Frank, you make some really good points there, and it opens up a conversation nicely for us. When you are walking in a familiar area, the relative degree of attention that you need to spend on navigating, on assessing the environment and adjusting your walk are very low. However, when you were to go on that hike, especially an unfamiliar trail, perhaps branches, rocks, wet leaves might be in your way, uh, signs that are posted to keep you on the trail for the route of the distance that you're looking for, you have to ramp up your attention. And so a more, uh, a higher percentage of the attention, if you think about that as a resource, the attention that you can give and devote, a higher percentage needs to be spent when you're out on that unfamiliar walk. Uh, and so therefore, if you are uh, lower in your total resources of attention to give, you could be a little bit compromised. However, exposing yourself to those types of situations on a regular basis can be something that can strengthen the amount of attention that you can devote when you're in a compromising situation. I'll take it one step further because there may be listeners who have had to recover from an illness, an injury, or a surgery, or maybe even something traumatic like a stroke. And you understand that that is also a position that causes us to command a greater degree of our attention now towards something that used to be automatic. Our walking after a knee replacement is not perfectly automatic. So now I'm devoting more attention to my walk, just like I had to on that uh, that trek and that hike that you're talking about. So we have to actually be aware of these things uh, so we can provide ourselves the optimal dosage uh, and so that we can keep ourselves safe uh, in so doing. So if I heard you right earlier, you said as it relates to dual uh, tasking, there's a lot of there's studies either being done or that have been done. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the science of, of, of dual tasking and, and why it appears you're recommending for people to, to dual tasks in the, in the way that you've explained it. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Well, some of the benefits of dual tasking are that they improve cognition better than exercise alone. You know, recall, I said there's almost a thousand studies out there now showing physical exercise can improve cognition largely by improving attention and executive functioning. So that's exciting. We've seen a number of recent studies show that, um, that the dual tasking is better than cognition alone. Dual tasking 
improves cognition more in older adults. And we see this in a number of these sorts of lifestyle interventions that the older we are, if you do these interventions, there's a larger impact than say middle adulthood and younger adulthood. Um, so that's good news for, for many of us. Um, and the dual tasking effects, the benefits of dual tasking on cognitive and physical have been shown to last longer than doing either alone. And then when we look at how big these effects are, the, there's a fairly moderate size effect um, on cognitive ability, but there's a large effect on people's ability to do activities of daily living, bathing, grooming, toileting, dressing. Um, and, you know, and that's huge because that's going to impact the level of independence and in many cases, their level of dignity. There's also research or a moderate effect on improving mood. Um, and so, you know, this can really have, you know, wide ranging impacts on quality of life. So in my, in my notes, one of the things that uh, we were going to address was dual tasking programming, you know, talk, talk to me what that, what that is and what that looks like. Yeah, uh, I can start off with this one and I'll tell you that dual task programming uh, is really an area that is exploding at this point. Dr. Winningham and I have been talking about dual tasking for over 20 years together, and uh, we see uh, that the the field is just seems to uh, expand logarithmically by the year. So uh, dual tasking programming can go all the way from professional sports. Imagine some of your listeners might be familiar with one of the most highly reimbursed uh, players in the National Basketball Association, Steph Curry. So Steph Curry, before he starts any basketball game, he uh, superimposes dual task exercises on himself by dribbling two basketballs at once. And so as you can imagine, Frank, when we load ourselves with dual tasking, and this applies to everyone at all levels, when we load ourselves with dual tasking, uh, it's kind of like conditioning ourselves with the resistance exercises that we do. We provide a stimulus and the brain responds to the stimulus. It's improving our cognitive fitness. So when Steph Curry dribbles two basketballs and then in the game, he only has to dribble one, one becomes that much easier. So now you can imagine, okay, professional sports, they intentionally load themselves. Well, this is also true for tactical warriors. Uh, Dr. Winningham and I work with the United States military so that in a virtual reality setting, the uh, individuals that are going to have to go out in combat can actually be uh, exposed to fast decision-making uh, and uh, evasive maneuvers and receiving communication all while they are physically engaging. All right, so let's move from there. Now let's talk about you know, what happens uh, with uh, our persons that are rehabilitating. So dual task programming there can look like as you're relearning how to walk after a stroke, I'm gonna to try to load your brain up so that I can borrow your attention resources so that you don't pay all of your attention resources to walking. And then when you're released from rehabilitation, you're capable of paying attention to the world and you're not dependent in your walking to pay attention to your body. So if I were to answer the question even in a more practical manner, I would tell you that we can find activities in our lives and add extra layers of listening to a podcast while I brush my teeth, uh, working on, uh, you know, cognitive activities that are compelling to us while I'm, you know, maybe listening to uh, a television program that I have to answer questions about 
while I'm trying to see how quickly I can compete uh, and finish today's Wordle. There's very approachable and easy things to do. But the main thing, Frank, I would tell you and tell all of our listeners about dual task programming is find something that is a movement that's engaging or that you normally naturally do in your life and then superimpose something else that is exciting for you or that's meaning for you for you and challenge yourself to be able to operationalize both of them successfully feel free to make a few errors feel healthy still that you're challenging yourself it's kind of like lifting a weight that was a little bit too heavy it's okay to make some errors and be playful about it uh, with less stress and pressure as you approach some of these integrations that's great well Boy, I could talk to both of you uh, for hours on the subject matter, but unfortunately, we're kind of you know we're out of, we're out of time. I meant to ask you earlier, so I'm going to ask you now. Maybe uh, whoever would like to speak, both of you, fine. Uh, to you know, if people want to learn more about what each of you are doing, or they could look at any studies being done or anything, uh, feel free to uh, share. Go ahead. Well, I would just say, you know, there's, I have a, a, a workbook on Amazon called Cranium Crunches. Um, it has some tests so people can kind of look at their baseline and then some um, cognitive stimulation activities you can do with loved ones or you can do yourself. Um, if you want a deeper um, dive into these topics, take a look at my uh, book, Train Your Brain, Maximize Memory Ability in Older Adulthood. And both Dr. Studer and I, for the professionals in the audience, um, might be interested in our courses at medbridgeeducation.com. Great, great. Dr. Studer, anything to add to that? Yeah, thank you. I'll echo the, uh, the MedBridge. I've got a good, healthy library of courses up there. I will additionally tell you that my website is very simply just my first name, last name.com. So it's mikestuder.com. And then lastly, um, which has appeared to be quite popular, uh, I do have a TED Talk on seeing the potential in brain recovery, which is easily searchable using uh, my, my name. And uh, so that's on the exciting field of neuroplasticity, if listeners might be interested in that as well. Great. Well, thank you both so much for uh, joining us on, on Boomers today. I can't thank you enough. I hope you'll come back. There's a lot that we still have to discuss. We'd love to. Thank you, Frank. Great. And thank you. Thanks so much, Frank. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you, everybody. Be safe. And we'll talk to everybody next week. You've been listening to Boomers Today with Frank Sampson. To learn more about today's show, visit BoomersTodayRadio.com. And join us next time for another edition of Boomers Today.